Hi, it's another episode of The Beautiful Business. We time these really well because it, as I record this, is 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday at my house. And on nine o'clock in the morning, I have a call with my one of my coaches. And this series is about one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I come off, I come off my sessions with this particular coach kind of on such a high my enthusiasm for one-on-one -on -one coaching is peaking as I'm pushing go on this zoom session. And that, that works out well. I, it's man, I understand that there are insights and epiphanies available for us in a lot of places. Podcast being one, I'm getting amazing feedback on this podcast and I'm so grateful for it. And I, it helps me feel so excited to do this. So we get, we get in, insights from podcasts. We get insights from newsletters. We get insights from books. I think a, a missing potential source of insight for so many people, including a lot of coaches actually is one-on-one -on -one coaching. The conversation I just had with my coach yielded one insight, just sort of one framing of an idea that could I have gotten there without her? Sure. Probably. I don't know. But that insight that we discovered today will I think change for the better forever how I operate in my life. I don't think that's too dramatic. I think that's, I wrote it, I had to get up immediately and go write it on my whiteboard because otherwise I forget it in 30 seconds. But that came from a conversation. Okay, here's the thing. This is a little sidebar before we get into today's topic. It didn't come from a conversation First and foremost, first and foremost, it came from my commitment to engage with this coach in a series of conversations with the confidence that somewhere in that series, I would have a major insight that could transform my life or my business forever. A long time ago, I, I, I had a conversation with, a, this was a like a CFO client who I, I mean, this is years ago and I worked with her for maybe only a year, uh, five years ago or something. And I was raising my prices. I wasn't even raising my prices to their highest level. I was raising my prices a little bit at the time. And she was one of these clients who wanted to negotiate. By the way, run screaming from any client who wants to negotiate. What a waste of time. But I indulged her and we had a conversation where she just was like, sell me. Side note, never sell coaching clients. Ugh gross. It's the worst. Sell me, sell me on why we should talk for the next year. And I told her something that I completely believed was true and it still didn't persuade her, you know, see previous about not trying to sell coaching clients. But I was, I think I was asking her to pay something like $600 a month for this bookkeeping slash CFO service. She's like, well, what am I going to get from my $600 every month? And I said, oh no, that's not the way to think about this. Because some months we won't have a whole lot to talk about. Some months there won't be a major epiphany. But I'm absolutely sure that in the course of that year, there will be a moment where we're having a conversation and one of us will say something during that conversation and it will be a, 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 a moment of transformation for you. You'll look back and say, you can sort of mark time as before that realization and after that realization. That's why you should pay me that amount of money per month for the next year. The per month thing is just a convenience thing for you and well, for you mostly. <laughs> Although there's convenience for me too in that monthly paradigm because then I could also fire her whenever I wanted or fire any client whenever I want. That didn't persuade her. But it is something that I completely believe and I experienced it today. My, 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 my work with this particular coach has already been compelling for me. It's already been extremely impactful. But today, the thing that we landed on for me, by the way, it was totally personal, not personal in the sense that I wouldn't share it because it's private, but it's completely personal to me and the, 
and my weaknesses and my strengths and my frustrations and my goals and my desires. And the, the insight sort of was uh, one of the fruits of a series of conversations that we've been having. And when we landed on it, I just had to stop and say, okay, hold on. I got to write it on the whiteboard because we will now keep coming back to that. It'll be the, it'll be the filter through which we look at any other idea that the two of us come up with any other conversation that we're having. And that's one-on-one coaching. That's what it does. That's what it does. Again, you can have insights in a lot of places, group coaching, podcasts, webinars, books. I love all these things. I consume all of these things. But my biggest breakthroughs in the last five years have been in one-on-one conversations with my own coaches or therapists. So that's the end of that little sidebar. Let's talk about content. There's something funny in the chat. I'm not totally sure what it means. Um, Okay. Let's talk about content. Last week, we talked about the role of content in a one-on-one coaching business. And now I believe that the role of content is mostly to give people a soft landing into your world, to help them develop an affinity for you. And I, def- I, I divide affinity into sort of liking you and trusting you in the specific context of the problems they're trying to solve in their life, the, the client. But I didn't talk much about how I would go about creating that content. And hold on, I've got some notes here. Oh, assumptions. We should declare our assumptions first. That's important. Here are my assumptions as you listen to this episode. If you've listened to, I think, episode two, where it talks about coaching versus training businesses, this episode assumes a coaching business or coaching and mentoring. It assumes that you happen to be a person who values connection, individual connection, and self-discovery as much as money. Now, I'm not trying to say that in some high-minded and definitely not some holier-than-thou way, but I don't think the rest of this session makes any sense if you actually don't value individual connection and or self-discovery as much as money. Now, I don't I don't know how many people are going to be honest and, and admit like, well, to be honest, I'm kind of more about the money than I am about the self-discovery. I believe there are plenty of those people out there and I believe they do a lot of good in the world. You don't have to do what I'm going to propose today to do a lot of good in the world. You don't have to do what I'm going to propose today to make a lot of money. Because I have lots of examples of people who are not doing, in my opinion, what I'm going to propose today, and they are doing a a huge amount of good in the world, and they are making a lot of money. So this is a very opinionated uh, view of content creation that may not, it doesn't have to relate to making money. Uh, Another assumption is that you want content creation to be part of your marketing plan. Because as I have said, and I will continue to say, a person can grow a thriving one-on-one business, never creating any content, no Instagram, no newsletter, no website. You don't have to have those things. Case in point, I, uh, in the last, so in the last week, I had a one-on-one coaching client sign up for service. He and I only engaged through text message and then through FaceTime. So we're FaceTiming our coaching sessions. We're not even on Zoom. So what did I need in order for that client relationship to start? I needed a referral, which is how I met him. I needed a phone. Those are the two things I needed. I did not need Instagram or a newsletter or any content whatsoever. I certainly didn't need a podcast. So I'm never going to tell you that content creation is required. This plan assumes that you want to do some content creation and you believe it will be beneficial to you in the way that you want to run your business. And my last sort of disclosure as part of this process is I am I am promoting a very specific worldview and I am not pretending to be impartial in this scenario. Like I'm trying to persuade you of a, of a certain dogma, of a certain philosophy here. And since it's, it's a dogma, since I'm trying to persuade you of it, you are allowed to completely discard it. I'm not presenting scientific data today, which is actually relevant. Okay. Here's the first thing I want to talk about as it relates to content. And I think it's highly misunderstood. 
we are not in the business of facts. We're in the business of finding resonance, emotional resonance. Something that can happen in a new coach's business is she can become convinced that in order to be quote unquote credible and have people trust her, she needs to have the best facts. And cousins of the best facts are the best insights. And other cousins of the best facts are quote unquote being the most helpful. There's a lot of noise around content creation. And the thing that makes me the craziest is when people say, yeah, you've got to create content and the content has to be really helpful, air quotes around helpful for me. And the content has to be even sometimes people will say epic, create epic content. Oh, fantastic. What does that mean? What is epic content? How would one know if one had created epic content? No idea. I think this sets off a potential spiral in the mind of the person trying to create content that can lead to not a great place. So the first thing is to, is to buy into the idea that we're not in the business of facts. The internet is amazing at disseminating facts. People don't need us for facts. We're not creating textbooks. Sometimes uh, those of us who have a particular bias toward facts think that it's our job to now create or recreate the textbook of concepts that we have learned in our coaching journey, and then to distribute that textbook in whatever form, whether it's newsletters or our social media or YouTube or podcast or whatever. I don't think that's a winning formula. We may be able to find formulas or find examples of where that's been a winning formula, but I think those are the exception and not the rule. In 2022, facts are easy to access. And since they're very easy to access, they are comparatively cheap. So if I'm in the business of disseminating facts, I'm disseminating something that is free. Now, there are environments in which facts can be hard to come by or hard to trust. Uh, the reference would be the United States political environment. I don't care which end of the political spectrum you live on. It doesn't matter. Wherever you live on the pol political spectrum, if you have one sort of <laughs> reflective or introspective cell in your brain, you are frustrated in the current information environment. There's a good example of a lady who's who's made a business of fact sharing. Her name is Sharon. I think her Instagram handle is Sharon Says So. And she's built a business around being a voice of clarification and sort of impartial fact delivery. So in an environment where facts are extremely hard to find, facts can become valuable. But in the self-help world, I mean, it's not hard to find facts and like psychological concepts and it's, it's easy. So we can't fall into the trap of being in the business of facts. We have to be in the business of resonance of having, and I say finding resonance because resonance, I don't think is something we force. If we try to force it, I think we lose it. Resonance is what happens when a person, well, for example, if you're listening, she's probably listening. I got an email from a, a, a coach this week who said, I have listened to the first two episodes of The Beautiful Business, and I have found myself tearful during both episodes. Okay, resonance is happening there, but I never intended, nor would I ever intend to, like, I would never set out and say, okay, my goal with this podcast episode is to make people cry. I, I don't have that intention. But what seems to have happened there is there's been such resonance between my words and experiences and the 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 aspirations and the pains that that this particular person is is addressing in her life it, it touched her enough that tears happened okay beautiful frankly for me that's that's close to the pinnacle of what business has to offer me it all also offers me a great way to provide food shelter clothing and luxuries for my family and myself awesome i'm all for it but those things don't trump the feeling I have when someone reaches out to me and says, your, your message was so resonant that it moved me to tears in, in a good way. 
that's what I think that's content's job is to find resonance where it already can, can be, can exist. The other strong opinion I have is that resonance is something we want to first find with ourselves and then with the people we hope to serve. I shared a little bit about this last week, but when we go um, deep into content creation, the biggest win, in my opinion, the biggest win is how we discover ourselves and hopefully accept ourselves in that process. When you are trying to write something every day or say something every day, this doesn't have to be written. When you are trying to create something every day or every week, I'm not trying to, one thing I'm not being dogmatic about here is sort of any sort of schedule, but when you are trying to create something resonant and when you're being introspective and honest, you will discover yourself in that process. And hopefully, as you discover yourself, you'll find a way to also love and accept and embrace that. I happen to think coaching is amazing for that. I use coaching to self-discover and even more to self-accept. I think I do a lot of self-discovery outside of coaching, but I think I've done more of my self-acceptance has happened in my work with a coach and a therapist. But the resonance has to first happen, I think, in order for it to have the best chance of resonating with the people we hope to serve. It has to first be resonant with us. So if your content has never made you laugh, it may not make other people laugh. If your content has never made you cry, it may not ever make anyone else cry. If your content has never caused you to sit and think and contemplate and just sort of keep revisiting an idea for days and weeks after having it pop into your head, then it may not do that for someone else either. Now it might, I, I, I got, I, I, I try not to be absolutist in the way I talk about these things because there will be things that you write that didn't necessarily mean a ton to you, but other people will say that thing you said blew my mind and you won't remember saying it, having said it. I, of course there's room for that, but as an overarching principle, if what I'm creating never touches me deeply, it's going to be hard to hope that it will touch someone else deeply. I think, by the way, and we'll get in, I think we'll talk more about this, especially in the discussion portion of the, of the episode. When we set out with our content creation to directly to sell or even to teach, we risk missing the resonant bits In fact, I wonder if I'm going to get back to this. I need to skip ahead in my slides here because I. Uh, okay. Okay. I want to talk about this briefly because I don't think I have it later in my slides. Uh, a sort of standard storytelling framework. The thing that I think, whether we know it or not, what we're all looking for in uh, one of the things we might be looking for in a story is we're looking for a moral or a lesson. Moral sounds it almost sounds too like um, it's, it is an ethical thing, but we're looking for the moral of the story. We're looking for lessons. Stories mean something to us because we expect to, you know, see the narrative arc, uh, maybe the hero's journey in a story, but then we want there to be a lesson. And when we're new to content creation, I think we can forget that the person who taught us the lessons probably did it in the context of stories. And so we may have some powerful coaching concept in our head and we walk around and it's just, it's just reverberating in our mind over and over and over again and helping us and transforming us. But we might forget that the person who shared it with us did it in a story. And so when we go to create content like a podcast episode or a newsletter or a social media post or whatever, we want to teach the lesson. We want to be like, here's this concept I want you to know. Here's the concept. Here's a bulleted list of principles that prove this concept. Here's how this concept is going to help you. And we want to skip the story. And now we're back to, back to creating a textbook. Well, if we're back to creating a textbook, we've lost, lost all the emotionally resonant pieces that would have actually allowed the person to learn the lesson and adopt it into their life. You know what? In fact, I'm looking at my whiteboard here and I talked earlier about the epiphany that I had 
with my coach today, the epiphany came in the context of a story. She and I were talking about an artist. Now this is a real artist, but it's still a story. We were talking about an artist and how he runs his business and how his brain is like mine. There's a lot in common between us. And then we landed on the concept of a gallery and how he uses galleries to sell his work. And this won't mean anything to any of you, but for me, the gallery as a framework, the gallery as like a, a construct exploded my brain as it relates to distributing my work in the world, distributing my writing, distributing my coaching. It's this, it's this sort of metaphor that blew my mind. It's not the business concept of distribution of products, right? It's the gallery as a construct that I'm sitting here and like physically vibrating, thinking about it. It's the story. So if we slip into the habit of, I've got to teach a lesson, I've got to share a concept, I've got to have bullet points, I've got to cite evidence, wonderful. But if it's not wrapped up in a narrative arc, if it's not wrapped up in something personal, ugh, we've, we've, we've reduced the probability that it will have an impact. Because humans find resonance in stories. The greatest religious texts across all the major religions teach through stories, parables, fables, fairy tales. Humans find resonance in stories. Somewhere in the last several thousand years, humans figured out that if you want someone to stick in somebody's something to stick in somebody's head, you tell a story. You don't create a PowerPoint presentation. Ironically, he said, as he moved to his next slide. Well, what's in the stories we tell? There's a lot of things in the stories we tell. Some of them are hidden and some of them are obvious. But when you think about content creation in a business, when I'm writing a newsletter, when I, Mark Butler, am writing a newsletter, my identity is coming through that story. Well, it's coming through that newsletter if the newsletter has a story in it, because I cannot help but have who I am come out in that story. Now, if I don't tell a story at all, maybe it's easier to hide my identity. But when I share a story, my identity is going to come through. And when my identity comes through, that's an opportunity for resonance. That's where, in my case, you'll have uh, coaching clients or coaching prospects say even something as simple as, you know, I'd really love to work with a coach that's a guy. Do I think it's necessary? I mean, that's great if a person wants to meet me on that level. My coaches have been a mix of men and women over the years, but I could hide my, my identity in that way in my content. I could hide my experiences. I don't have to share experiences, but my experiences should come through in the stories that I tell. And when they do, there's, there are opportunities for resonance. Just the other day, I was talking with a person who neither of us knew this until we were in this conversation, but it came out in this conversation that both of us have adopted our children and both of us, both of us have children with special needs. So we have this, this, you know, it's not a universal reality to have adopted children and to have the children you've adopted have special needs. So there's this instant resonance between us instantly when he's telling me a story about his experience, I am nodding my head and I'm able to say to him, no, it's not that I, it's not that I can understand what you're talking about. I'm living it today. Today I'm dealing with the thing that you're talking about. And when, when he realizes that the person he's talking to is, has that same exact experience, now there's resonance between us that there otherwise wouldn't be. Could we still have a productive co coaching relationship or friendship? Absolutely. But it's different when we have that shared thing, isn't it? it means the world to me, I, I got to tell you. And I think it means something to the other person. Those experiences come through in the content and they create resonance. Emotion creates resonance. When I can share that I'm sad or that I'm happy or that I'm depressed or that I'm anxious, done thoughtfully, done with care and tact, of course this creates resonance. Tragically, it can also be used in a manipulative way and, and 
you know, there's some skill to be built here, but a bulleted list of concepts does not connect or resonate with people in a way that lived experience does. Of course, lessons come through, of course, facts come through, of course, concepts come through in the con in the content. If they didn't, then you'd have, like if we just had my personal stories without any lessons, without any concepts, without any facts, well, then we're potentially veering over into something quite narcissistic, right? Just sort of like, uh, I mean, I think the Kardashians are sort of an example of this. I mean, they're, I'm sure maybe they're lovely people, but this is sort of like, this is sort of like, pay attention to me just because I'm me. When content goes that direction in a, in a, especially in a coaching business, it's uh, it's awkward. We all know it's awkward. We've all felt it. We've all seen coaches where we're like, wait a minute, the, the, the sort of the, your content seems to have shifted away from being primarily about me as the, as the recipient of the content. And, and it seems to have shifted to be more about you as the deliverer of the content. And now I feel weird. What am I, what am I consuming here? What am I watching here? So there's this mix of my identity, my experiences, my emotions, my perceptions with lessons, facts, and concepts. There's this mix that creates resonance. Examples. Just last week, I sent a newsletter to my, to my email list called I Overdrew My Checking Account. Now, I'm a money guy, or at least I'm perceived to be a money guy. Hopefully, I'm also worthy of that perception. But I sent an email called I Overdrew My Checking Account. And in the email, I talked about my own fears and some shame, potentially, that some shame that I could have felt and that I sort of worked to not feel. But when you're a money guy and you send an email called I overdrew my checking account, if somebody knows you as a money guy, that's going to, they're going to set up and pay attention. And in that email, I talked about not only that I overdrew my checking account, but I talked about this, this urge, this overwhelming, almost compulsion that I feel to explain that to all of you. Oh, well, here's what you, here are the mitigating circumstances and it's not that big of a deal. And here's what I want to explain that away. I want to rationalize it away. Well, not only is overdrawing a checking account a resonant experience, feeling a desire to explain it away is a resonant emotion. So when I'm sharing a failure, because you could call that a failure in my handling of my personal finances, when I'm sharing a failure and I'm sharing a resonant emotion about that failure, and I'm trying not to take it to a narcissistic place and explaining how oh yeah, I overdrew my checking account, but here's why that's not a big deal. And don't worry, I'm still better than you. <laughs> like the bottom line is don't forget that I'm better than you and I'm smarter than you because content can't go that direction. We've all experienced that kind of content. I wanted to fight that. And I wanted to say, I felt this, I had this experience of failure. I had this feeling of shame. And here's how I tried not to stay in that feeling of shame for too long. Resonant. More replies to that newsletter than anyone I've sent in the last probably 18 months. More replies. Thanking me. Some people legitimately concerned that maybe I'm having, I put sort of a sarcastic PS on the, on the newsletter, like, please send money. And there were some people who were like, but are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm okay. Anyway, sarcasm doesn't always play well. One person Venmo, oh, a person PayPal'd me $1. That was hysterical. Emotional resonance. Someone PayPal'd me $1. I don't even know how he found me to send me a, a dollar through PayPal. Emotional resonance. A long time ago, I sent an email called Begin Again. It was after I had done my classic thing where I stopped sending newsletters with no explanation for a long time. Then I came back and I, I shared a concept for meditation. The concept being when you lose focus, when you get off track, you just begin again with no judgment. And I shared sort of my own urge to criticize myself for disappearing. But instead of doing that, I'm just going to begin again. Resonant generated a ton of replies to that newsletter. Uh, sometime last year, I wrote an email called Mark's Notes from Therapy. Resonant. It, like we're, we're building, we're sharing things that we know are relatable to people. And if not, if we don't know they're relatable to people, we at least know they're true and that they're emotional for us. 
And if they're true and if they're emotional for us, it's very likely to be resonance with an audience. So the summary maybe for this section is that we overvalue facts and we undervalue emotion. Okay. Before I move on to the next section, there, there's tension here. There's potentially tension here where a, a person who's maybe trying to get a coaching business going and has bought into the idea that, that she needs to create content in order to be successful, she has these two these two ideas that I believe compete, but they don't, they, it's not obvious that they compete on day one. One idea is that you have to be quote unquote helpful and like serve and over deliver with your content. And she doesn't really know what that means yet. She's like, I don't, I'm not quite sure what that means. She has some models maybe where she's like, I love that newsletter. I love that podcast. I love that Instagram feed. So she has some models but she's not totally clear on what it means to quote unquote over deliver in her content. And then she has this other imperative that says be consistent. So she's feeling a little bit unsure about what it means to over deliver. And then she's feeling a little overwhelmed by what it means to be totally consistent, no matter what publish every Thursday. And these things start to work on her and her brain. And so first it's a little bit of like anticipation, like, okay, what am I going to write this week? And oh, good. I had an idea this week and then that's passed. And then it's next week. What am I going to write this week? I don't have an idea yet. And now the anticipation turns into some dread and then she publishes something, but maybe she doesn't like it that much and maybe doesn't get much of a response. And now, or maybe she skips a week and now she's got some guilt in the mix and some shame in the mix. Now we've got dread and we've got shame but we've still got this imperative to be consistent. And this starts to all snowball to the point where at some point she's at risk as these emotions build in her, in her mind, she's at risk of confusing having a coaching business with being a content publisher. And then I hear her saying things like, I hate the content part. I just wish I didn't have to do the marketing, I just hate it. And then if she decides that Basically, the coaching business is the marketing. Well, now she's decided she doesn't really like having a coaching business. And this whole thing can snowball to her bailing on the whole idea. And it all started with these two seemingly innocent ideas of be helpful and over deliver and be consistent. And, and one of the root issues of that is she doesn't know how to be helpful. She doesn't even know what that means. And what I'm proposing to you is you have stories you can tell. And you should tell your stories first to yourself so you can have your own epiphanies, your own self-discovery, and then you can share those stories with others, trusting that when you share your stories and your emotional experiences and weave in the lessons you've learned, that you are over-delivering. You are being helpful because connecting with other human beings is helpful, full stop. And then I'm not part of the cult of consistency. So I, on day one, I'm like, no, I mean, publish, publish when you have the, when you have a, a energy to publish. Yes. I think it benefits you and me to become a very reliable presence in your, in your audience's inbox and in their social media feed. Yes. I believe in that, but I'm not going to let myself get into a gnarly emotional state because of the cult of consistency. So helpfulness comes from you telling your stories because consistency comes over time as you build the muscle of content creation and as you learn to, in, to feel enthusiasm and to generate enthusiasm for it. But never confuse your coaching business with, with, with the content creation itself. Content creation, oh, somebody in the chat says, consistency can put people into all or nothing thinking. That all or nothing thinking. That's perfectly said. Thank you, Andalyn. That's perfectly said. The, the cult of consistency can push us toward all or nothing thinking and all or nothing thinking just doesn't serve us. I can't think of a scenario where it does. You have stories to tell. Now, some people will say, I, yeah, I have, I have stories to tell, but what about oversharing? What about, what about being too vulnerable? What about violating the trust of other people that are involved in the stories? I have multiple experiences with coaching clients 
who will say, yes, I have a story to tell, but it involves a spouse or a parent or a sibling or a child. And this is not my story to tell. It's their story to tell. And it would be a violation of our relationship to share that story. I don't agree if you go about it thoughtfully and with care. So I invented this thing called the rings of intimacy, which made me laugh as soon as I said it, because the rings of intimacy could have so many different connotations. But in this case, what I mean is intimacy is the willing to is the willingness to know a person and to be known by that person. And in our content, intimacy is the willingness to share a thing with an audience, to share a story, to share an insight with an audience. So I created this thing called the rings of intimacy. And the innermost ring is I would share this story in this way only with myself or with God. And by the way, you get to invent your own rings of intimacy because your hierarchy probably doesn't look like mine or it may not look like mine. But the innermost ring for me is like, I would only say these things in my own head or I would say them to God. The next ring of intimacy would be like, I would share this with my spouse in this way or with like a clergy member, a pastor, a priest, uh, a rabbi, uh, whatever. Like this is still in sharing this information in this way is still intensely personal to me. But if I go out one step, now I'm in the realm of, yeah, I would share this story in this way with my best friend, or I would share this story in this way with my therapist or with my coach. The next ring out being an acquaintance. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're an acquaintance to me, I'll give you, I'll give you the information and I'll package it this way. And if you're a stranger, it's just even a little bit less intimate. And notice how I'm saying I would share this story in this way, because we have the facts of the story and then we have the way we share it. We have how, how, how real we're going to be with the emotions of the thing, how honest we're going to be, how intimate we're going to be in the emotions of the thing. And what I want to propose to you is that your content on the rings of intimacy should land somewhere between what I would share with my best friend, my therapist, my coach, and what I would share with an acquaintance. Now, unless we, <laughs> unless any of us think that I've somehow come up with some like rigorous process for determining what that means and how that sounds, obviously I have no idea. We develop that. We build this muscle over time. I have plenty of stories where I have been too intimate in my content. This is going back to the 15 years that I've been creating content where I have shared some information in a way that afterward I was like, Oh, not only do I, not only am I nervous about having said that thing in that way, I actually feel like I was truly either unkind or unfair or, or, or just too intimate to share that information in that way. And I want to take it back. I've done it. I'm not sure. Maybe you can avoid it, you know, at least as part of the process of developing this skill. But I think where we want to be aiming is somewhere between best friend and acquaintance. And then as we build the muscle and as we build a relationship with an audience, we may move down, may like may have, may move sort of farther into the rings of, of intimacy. It's like, yeah, this is something I probably would normally only share with my spouse, but I'm going to write it out. I'm going to let it sit for 48 hours. I'm then going to share it with my spouse. Hey, what do you think of this? I could ask her, is it too much? Is it too personal? Is it kind? And I keep saying kind because I frankly have a, I, I've had this tendency. I've shown this tendency over the years to go to a, 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 an unkind place in my content, either to myself or to others. And that's not who I want to be. So I may present a piece of content to a trusted person and say, Hey, is it too intimate? Is it unkind? Is it, is it sarcastic in an unproductive way? Cause I have that tendency as well. Is it like, I'll go to the sort of the people in my life who know me well and say, before I publish this, can I get a sanity check on it? And you know, if Kate, if my wife's like, I think it's a little much, I would dial it back one step. Thank you. I will dial it back one step. Or if Kate, or if I say to Kate, to be honest, I'm scared. I'm scared to say this thing in this way to these people. And if Kate says, 
and we have had this conversation, if Kate says, we know this is true for you, this message is true, we know you're not alone in feeling the way you're feeling. So it would actually be a violation of your integrity to not share this because it's not too intimate. It's not unkind. It's not, it's not self-indulgent or narcissistic. It's, it's just the truth that you're nervous to share. So you need to share it. Okay. And then I hit publish, but these are the filters I'm going to run the, the content through. I'm going to run through my own filter by just letting it sit for a few days and then I'm going to run it through the filter of some trusted advisors. But our goal, especially for those of you who are really scared about this stuff, our goal is to move inward on the rings of intimacy in a way that is still kind and appropriate, but maybe a little scary. I think that's our sweet spot. And, and maybe when we get into some discussion here momentarily, uh, you're going to have some ideas. Um, in fact, I think the last thing I want to say before we dive in is the exercise I would encourage you to take away from this is whether it's on a Google Doc or on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper, put the heading, the stories I can tell, and then just let your mind flow free. I did this the other day, and before I knew it, I had 30 stories. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what's a story? I don't have great stories. Well, no, this is the story of you. So for me, it's like, I already gave a couple of them. Um, I have adopted children. I have a child with special needs. Um, I, my, my, in my marriage, we've struggled with infertility. Um, I am a religious person. I'm a believer. I'm a man. I'm 43 years old. I have gray hair. I have thinning hair. I mean, you really, you're maybe some of you are laughing right now, but these are all like, these are lived experiences. These are things I'm going through right now. Like for me right now, like I'm, I'm, I don't weigh the amount I'd like to weigh. I don't physically feel the way I'd like to feel. Oh, but I do have these experiences recently with like physical activity that feel amazing. Like these are all stories I can tell. And my first job is to tell the story. And my second job is to go back into the story and say, is there a lesson here? Is there something I would share? How could I now craft it to be more useful to a reader or a listener or a viewer? But unleash yourself with the stories you can tell. Last thing I want to say, and then I want to talk to just a couple of you before we run out of time today. For those of you who would say either my stories are too personal and or too painful to share, especially where they involve another person, like a parent, a spouse, a child, or whoever, I believe you have to first write the full, unedited, totally emotional version of that story for your own benefit. These are, these are incredible experiences when you, when you actually let yourself fully explore your experience and your emotion around that experience. And then having written that version to come back to it and run it through the rings of intimacy. I don't think we can call it that. It's too stupid. Run it through a filter, then run it through a filter and say, what is the version of this story that feels kind and appropriate and still useful and still intimate that I can share with strangers on the internet in a way that will help find resonance between me and that person. So please, as a first step, write the unfiltered version of the story. And maybe you don't share it with anyone. Maybe you throw it in the trash. Maybe it was truly just for you as a one-time exercise. And, and you get to be at your worst in that exercise. You get to be childish you get to be indulgent. You get to just, you get to go all the way in that. And then you get to decide whether you share it at all or any version of it. And if you decide, you know, there's something in here that could be of benefit to someone else, then you start running it through a filter. But I promise you, you will never run out of things to say if you start from what are the stories I can tell. 
Oh, I see it. I see something in the chat here. I want to share. I love the idea of writing content for yourself and then sitting with it for a few days. Often when I publish, I do it from pressure or a hurried place. Yeah, you're, you're not alone. I think maybe the majority of people who are trying to create content are creating from pressure and from hurry. Cause it's like, well, I committed to publishing every Thursday. And then there's all this, the pressure can be positive for me. I need some amount of pressure to get myself into action. And I've accepted that about myself. But if we get too pressured or too hurried, then that we start to get into the dread and shame cycle. Um, then you, you said, uh, how do you not overthink it? And yeah, I, I think what I just said about writing the unfiltered version first will help you not overthink it. And then using that unfiltered version as raw material for what you actually end up publishing, I think can be quite powerful. But when we think we have to sit down in front of a Google doc and from blank page, create polished, insightful, resonant version, I, I personally don't, don't do that. I don't even attempt that. By the time you see something that I've written, there will have probably been a whiteboard full of notes because I like to think at a whiteboard. So there'll be a whiteboard full of notes. Then I'll go into my favorite writing app and I'll, I'll just sort of stream of consciousness for 500 to 1,000 words. And then I'll tag it like as a draft or whatever in my app. And then I just let it sit. And sometimes it sits for months. And then I'll come back to it and be like, oh, I was on one that day. Oh, but here's something. Here's something. Ah, yeah. Or the, the draft will spark a totally different idea. And then that I'll sit down and from blank page, write 300 words and be like, huh, there it is. I like it. That's going out today or it's going out next week. So I love the idea of working from some sort of raw material in the form of old drafts or old notes. Oh man, I talked for a long time today. Who wants to chat for a minute before we conclude? My friend Beth raised her hand. What's up, Beth? Hi, I couldn't figure out how to actually raise my, or this is me actually raising my hand instead of whatever the team does. But um, you mentioned just a second ago about it is, so I'm a parent coach. I coach parents with struggling teens, right? And I have my own teens, <laughs> struggling teen. And I constantly um, have been a bit worried about misrepresenting him or saying something that would offend him yeah. or in a story, right? And I yeah. think about it all the time. And although I've been sharing of his stories for his story for like four and a half years, right? Yeah. So I think it, what it comes down to, I think is really making it my story yes yep and really um putting him in an in not like a crazy rainbow daisy light but yep. in a light of this was my perception at the time this is what i thought of him at the time none of that is like true or facts as you were saying it's all story yep and then i'm able to share my perception and how i maybe um was having some unhelpful thoughts about him or judgments or whatever and then how i turned it around so then i had um was able to help our relationship by thinking different thoughts about him, dot, dot, dot. But I feel like every time I sit down to write a story, I do think, man, if he was reading this, um, you know, how much would he hate me? And I think most of the time he'd be like, oh yeah, mom, I remember that and get it. You were, you were top of mind for me as I prepared for this call. Well, thanks. Cause I was like, wow, this is really, yeah, for this reason. So try. Beth is, I mean, I hope it's okay to say Beth is one of my coaching clients. I just, I just outed you as a coaching client. Um, but we've had good talk, talks about this topic and you've given me great insight. And um, you, and I don't know whether we came to this conclusion together in our conversations, but I love the idea that there would be a version when you have a story that you want to tell, an idea that you want to, you want to share. I love the idea that you would write it and then you would go to him and say, hey, first of all, this never has to get published ever. Ooh. Secondly, I would love for you to read it and I would love for us to have a conversation about it. I'd love to connect with you in that way. And then after he reads it, you could say, you know, first of all, you can have an amazing conversation there, never mind content publishing, which matters so much less than the conversation you're having with him. Yeah. 
But then after having done it in a totally sincere way, you could say, by the way, what version of this would you like people to see? Like, if any. Yeah. And for him to be like, well, actually, here's what I see, or here's how here's how I experience that, or actually, it could be helpful for people to know X, Y, and Z. And you're like, awesome. Should we share that? Is that okay? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, great. Mm. I have to say that's a big ask. Absolutely. <laughs> do you know why it's a big ask? Well, okay. First of all, I want to say, I think it's a big ask if there's any part of it that actually does paint him too like in too vulnerable a light or definitely in a negative light although i don't believe you ever do that i'm sure you don't um well it's a bit it's a big ask and i i don't care anything about content it's a big ask because it's opening up cans of worms you know what i mean like that's how i perceive it it's like uh, um but the but and we have opened some cans of worms yeah. recently yeah and um it was, even though it's a bit tough to have like pretty hard conversations yes it has it has revealed um things i would have never thought key thought um mm. perception you know and all the things that parents are thinking about kids and kids are thinking about parents and it has opened up a huge um opportunity to i guess relate more and relate on a deeper level that's scary and i'm just gonna say it it's intimate it is, it is, it is incredibly intimate and which by the way is another, I, I sort of haven't even, I mean, I I've alluded to this in the last couple of episodes, but the benefit of this kind of work is like quote unquote, getting clients is way down the list of benefits, healing, learning, accepting, connecting. These are the benefits at the top of the list. Yeah, relationships for sure. Relationships. And you should change the name of that, by the way. The Rings of Intimacy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you're going to laugh every time you say it. I will. And There's I'll think, oh benefit. my God, why didn't Kate catch that? Come on. <laughs> Come on, it's really good. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, thanks for jumping on. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you next time. Who else can I chat with today? Who, who, can anybody just like see this and be like, okay, fine. This all seems fine, but man, I literally have no idea what to do now. No, you're all sorted out. Perfect. Massive amounts of insightful, resonant content is on its way into the world. Oh, you're, I think you're talking, but but you're, you're muted. Oh, hi. There you are, Dara. Hi. How's it going? Great. How are you? Great. Um, okay. So when you're saying this, one of the things that is coming up for me is um, trying to find your, like the way that you want to do it. There's a lot of, lots of programs out there, lots of ways that they tell you to do things. And this is the part that's hard for me is that I have done other people's processes and I have made a lot of money but I haven't, but doesn't like, that's not me. And then yeah. figuring out how to, how to make it so that it, it is becomes you, but you're consistently making money. Oh, well you, so does, do you think this relates directly to content creation or just to marketing in general? Um, I think content creation, because I think that maybe the best way to describe it is sometimes we go into like the good student mode. Uh -huh. uh, like I'm doing the process. I'm, I'm being really good, but it does. It's like, cause I, this is what I teach of course with weight loss. It's like, we're getting out of the good student mode. Like we want to like create our own thing. And I just was in Houston at a quilt show and I was teaching my free motion quilting. And I'm like, I'm helping you develop your own voice. Like I'm yeah. teaching you the basic quilting designs and then just like handwriting, you create it for yourself. And so as I'm listening to you today, and when you ask that question, like, what the heck do you do? I'm kind of, I'm kind of feeling like I'm kind of in that. I try different things. I know what did work somewhat because of the can results. You tell me I what, can you tell me what you think worked that does not, uh, this may be too personal a question, but what worked 
that you now feel you couldn't do because it's what inauthentic and personal, like what, can you be specific at all? Yeah. Um, I think I was <clears throat> probably, I was trying to please, um, I'm trying to think how, how I articulate it. It's kind of like someone tells you what to do and you do it and then you have success and you don't realize why you're having the success, but you you feel like it's because you did what they told you to do, but it wasn't ever like, it's almost like you didn't own that, but you yeah. were just, you, uh, is that? You, I, I mean, potentially. Yeah. I think what I would say to that directly is, can you parse? It's like what you're actually describing is not so much the specific things you were doing as, as the person or people who told you to do them. If we leave out the people that told you to do them and you look at just what you did exactly, like the actual things you did, would you continue to do those or would you stop doing them? Do the things themselves feel wrong, bad, inauthentic, manipulative, something that you don't like? Yeah, that's so interesting. I, th I think that I was feeling, it was like, it was almost like running on a treadmill. Like I was like, I have to do these things. I have to keep this up. But as far as like being authentic and being genuine and all of that, no, like what I was saying to people um, and like the results that I offered them and what they got was really awesome. So was, I, the, was the treadmill, the um, kind of the like type of content, the frequency of publishing, what, what's the treadmill? Um, I think the treadmill was competition um, like to, to make, to make money, like oh. to, to, to keep it up. I think that's as I'm getting more clear on what I'm articulating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think you're alone there. I, that's the yeah. other thing is I think when there's a, uh, just in case it's not clear, I suffer from this too. I'm not like, Oh, I've transcended. I, I no longer have any poisonous thought. Of course not. When, when we, when we let sort of the pursuit of external validation, either, from money or from some community that we're part of where we're looking for a specific kind of approval or applause. When that bleeds into our work, especially our content creation work, it's going to be like, wait, I hate this, but I, I'm not quite sure why I hate it. It's kind of like hard to decide, like, because it's not like I ever felt like I was, I wasn't like a good person or anything like that, but there was like this fear of if I don't do it a certain way, um, I'll be expelled. Yeah. Yeah. And in that community, you would have been expelled. Yeah. And so, there was, yeah. So, and there was, some, there was, there was some of that, right. There was and some people were expelled. So yeah. we can leave that at that, but so, yeah. now you get, now you get to say, Oh, actually I did like who I was being as it related to the people I was trying to serve the words I was saying, the way I was saying them, the intent behind it all actually yeah I, I like that i'm just going to try to subtract mm -hmm. the com the competition that i was in the seeking external validation and approval i'm, I'm just going to work on subtracting that and yeah. then i get to just be me yeah um you, you sort of alluded to this but i do believe that people might make more money in that kind of environment like the highly competitive environment where we are chasing and getting external validation and approval. I actually think that there can be more money made in that environment. It's just too expensive. The environment is too mentally and emotionally costly. Yeah. So the money ends up very practically not being worth it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So I love this. So the, I, I guess when you're talking about the stories I want to tell, it's like that that's who I want to be. Like I am a storyteller. I am. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how I, um, people can resonate and all of that. So it's just like, okay, so it's just that ability to just say, okay, like this is who I want to be. And just always bringing myself back is probably the biggest work that I, and I have been doing it over the last year. So that's, I can see that. This is um, obviously coaching is great for that. Content creation is an amazing tool for recentering ourselves on the things we care about most if you mm -hmm. never, if none of us ever published a word, but we journaled a lot in whatever way we do, whether on video or writing or whatever, and use it to reconnect with ourselves and our values, it, that's its biggest benefit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good.
Okay, great to catch up with you, Darren. Awesome. Nice to see you. Thank you. Anybody else before we wrap up today? We've been averaging about 65 minutes on these because there'll be one more person that wants to chat and that's perfect. All good. Okay. In conclusion, if you think publishing is a part of what you're trying to do in your coaching business, hopefully you try some of these ideas and hopefully it gets easier. We will talk again next week. If this has been helpful, please share it. Pass the podcast on. It seems to be getting passed on based on the feedback I'm getting. And uh, if you're looking for a one-on-one -on -one coach, shoot me an email. Okay, folks, talk to you next Tuesday. We'll see you.